Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. going to live stream a podcast recording right now so you can listen in or just feel like oh my gosh that's what it looks like when Brittany does her podcast for Femtech Focus. Um, I am actually going to do a year-end review of Femtech. So what that means is uh, Femtech Focus which is a nonprofit organization that um, helps the femtech women's health and wellness industry get funded, grow, scale, exit. We are market industry experts, and I thought it would just be appropriate for me to do one last episode for the year. Today is December 31st, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, I sat down, thought about all of the big things that happened in the industry this year, and I want to review some of them with y'all. So, Again, some of you are watching me live, super cool to see you there, and uh, you may notice I'm a little stuffy. I don't think I have the Rona, but uh, that is what it is. Uh, it's a live, authentic show, and so you guys, y'all know that if you've heard it before. So um, here we go. Let's talk about what happened to Femtech, Women's Health and Wellness, in 2020. Kick it off with the industry in general. I think that the definition of the word femtech has truly evolved. Um, when I first started getting into femtech, it was heavily about periods and fertility, and now it is so much more, and I really am proud of the industry for con continuously to communicate with one another, whether that's be via you know founders or investors or organization leaders like Femtech Focus or Fermata or Femtech Collective. We've really gotten together and became more clear on what we're defining as Femtech. And so I can feel really confident in telling you that today Femtech is described and defined as anything that improves women, girls, or females, health and wellness, and this includes addressing problems that solely, disproportionately, or differently affect women. Now, that's a pretty, you know, uh, <laughs> intense definition, so let me break it down a little bit more. The reason I said women, girls, and females is that because so far my understanding is that no one in the industry is arguing that trans health is not part of femtech. And so when we say trans health, we mean, you know, um, males that have identified now as women and either have or have not done the transition. Um, we have had some really awesome transgender, trans women's health episodes on our podcast, really describing where are the similarities between cis women and trans women and, and the healthcare that they both need that actually cross over a lot. Um, but it also means trans men um, that may still have a vagina or anyone, regardless of how you identify. If you have a vagina or breasts or you identify as a woman, all of these things are encompassing 
femtech. And so I'm really proud of the industry. That's something I personally was hoping that was included. And so far, nobody's really having any pushback on it. So let's let's include all the peoples that either identify or have body parts that we would normally consider as female or women's. Um, another part of that is the dis- solely disproportionate or differently affect women. So what do we mean by that? So solely means things that really only affect women. So menopause, um, you know, fertility in terms of eggs coming out of the ovaries, uh, periods. And again, take all of this with the asterisks for what I just said about trans health, but just so that we can get through this. Um, uh, so solely, really, really, truly female issues, Right. This is what historically we've been seeing as what femtech is. But now we also know that femtech is also things that uh, disproportionately or differently affect women. So disproportionately, autoimmune disease, great example. Autoimmune disease affects women disproportionately. 90% of Hashimoto's patients are women. We do not know why which is garbage, and I'm going to get to that later list, like what we still need in this industry, which is a lot of research and a lot of money. But um, so we are also addressing things like autoimmune disease, things that disproportionately affect women. The other thing is differently affect women. So the way that heart attacks occur in women is different, and the symptoms are different than how they appear in men. Um, The other uh, things for differently are... (laughs) um, Oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now. I'm going to like really be upset with myself later. But, um, you know, just I'm going to circle back to this. How else are things, what are other things that differently affect women than men? Okay, how, boom, there we go. I just had to ask myself again. So metabolism. So um, Ambien. Ambien, to go to sleep, you know, pill to help you go to sleep has been on the market for, you know, 20 years, over 20 years. It's been around for a really long time, actually. And, um, oh, Q wants to come up. Y'all know the Q. Come on, Q. Come on. There we go. Q's joining the Femtech party. So, um, Ambien's been on the market for a really long time, and it's been historically known that women had five times more symptoms than men. And in fact, one of the main symptoms was that women would be tired for days after taking one of their pills. And they finally realized, like after so many years of it being on the market, that turns out that da, 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 women's metabolism uh, metabolizes Ambien different than men. Imagine that. And so the average dose for a woman needs to be less than the average dose for a man. Wow, different. We are not just little men. Imagine that. And so um, it's actually really important to think about what other drugs are out there that are actually causing women side effects and women are either not being believed or it's not being reported because women are told to just deal with pain and inconvenience. Um, but what else is out there that is actually made for men and just given to women because we've been seen as just, just too complicated to think about and we're probably just little men. So whatever. Um, so femtech definition, women, girls, females, Um, things that disproportionately, solely, or differently affect women. Um, I'm really glad that we are all getting down to the basics of what this definition is, because without a definition, without a word, we can't rally behind it. We can't rally. (laughs) My Jersey accent's coming out. Um, We can't get behind it, right? This word allows us, and this definition allows us to, to fight for it, to talk about it, to have conferences about it, right? Have podcasts about it. So, all right, 
industry, word, femtech, definition, really evolved this year. Really happy about that. Um, next thing I want to talk about is the biggest influencers I saw in 2020 in Femtech. This is by no means everybody. And if I don't say your name and you're hurt, I'm sorry, send me a message about it. Um, but this is just like top of mind, stream of consciousness. Like who did I think were some of the biggest names that I saw come up in a lot of events and articles this year? We got Alice, Dr. Alice Zhang from McKinsey. McKinsey, huge consulting firm. And Dr. Alice has worked in women's health previously. And this year she will was, uh, she actually had a baby. Congrats, Alice. Um, but she also was really involved in so many events. And she actually launched the first Femtech track at McKinsey's conference for investors this year. So Dr. Alice Zhang, big influencer. Boom. Next one, Rachel Braun Sherl. Rachel Braun Sherl is an OG, original gangster of Femtech. She had a sexual wellness company that she exited. Go exits. We have exits in Femtech. And she has started a marketing firm called Spark Solutions, and she published a book called Orgasmic Leadership. Wow, I read that book at the in the pool this summer, and so many people stopped and like took a double take at this book that I was reading. It said Orgasmic Leadership. Um, Rachel Braun Sherl, influencer. Yes. Next, Dr. Sophia Yen. Dr. Sophia Yen is uh, actually, um, she's a doctor and a professor and the founder of Pandia Health. Pandia Health ha is a direct-to-consumer birth control um, company. And Dr. Sophia Yen was, she's just been on a roll this year. I've seen her like doing a lot of live interviews and talks and education. She's been on a bunch of panels. She's she is was a really fun guest to interview. Actually, most of these people I'm going to talk about we've interviewed on the show because uh, if you're an influencer, we want you on the show. So Dr. Sophia Yen, she was really awesome this year. Um, Gabby Gerhart. Gabby Gerhart, I, I'm saying that she is an influencer, not based on an international or even maybe even not national scale, but from Houston, she is, I call her the goddess of motherhood. Gabby is the founder of the Motherhood Center in Houston, and on her personal Facebook page, she has done an incredible job this year um, going from, you know, just a brick-and-mortar motherhood center to her being really vulnerable and personal and virtual on her personal pages and talking about motherhood and self-care and women's care, you know? So, Gabby, you're awesome. Goddess of motherhood, Gabby Gerhart, Motherhood Center. Check her out. The next uh, influencer is Liz Klinger. Liz Klinger is the founder of Lioness, the smart vibrator. Liz was brought on a lot of panels this year, and I feel like Liz has been in the biz for years now. Um, her company, Fun Fact Lioness, has never raised venture capital, and they are profitable. That is unheard of, especially for a hardware slash software slash research company. That is insane. She never raised any venture funding because she couldn't. Like, she was creating a smart vibrator for women so that they could quantify orgasms because no one had ever done that. And, um, you know, it would have been really hard for her to fundraise that. And so she has a profitable startup of which she has not given equity away. Liz is... Liz is going to take me on her yacht one day, I'm sure of it, in a few years, I'm sure. But in the meantime, she did a great job this year of giving out her insights and um, her experience. 
um, on virtual events. Another one was Helen Guillaume, the founder of Wild.ai. She was on a lot of panels this year talking about AI and machine learning and just the data around women's health because, again, data sets are based on men's health <laughs> and just assume to work for women, which oftentimes is not true. So Wild.ai is a fitness app, but she can't even make the app yet because no one's actually measured what is the right diet and exercise regimen for women. What is the right recovery time? Oh, by the way, there's five days every month that women are literally bleeding out of their bodies um, in milliliters worth. Maybe that might affect their metabolism. Maybe that might affect how much they should rest or should they even be working out that week or not? And if so, how so? Like, should they be running? Should they be lifting? Should they, whatever. And so I love Helen because she's like, this is crap. Like we need to find out the status set for women. And so, um, Obviously, when you have really big data sets like that, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, super important. So Helen Guillaume, another badass influencer of 2020. Um, another one is Trish Costello and Chantel Preston. They are both from Portfolio Investors. They did a lot of talking engagements this year, a lot of panels around femtech and investing. Trish and Chantel, y'all are amazing. Um, I'm going to name drop a man because femtech is not just about female founders. Remember, that was not part of the definition whatsoever. So the male influencer of the year for me is Eric Dye. He is the founder of Bloom Life. Bloom Life is a wearable technology for prenatal uh, care and monitoring. And Eric is just so awesome. He is um, super smart and super woke and really fun. He is a scientist and engineer, so obviously I'm biased. But Eric, great job. Great job representing Femtech this year. I got two more. The next one is, uh, I would say, like my sex tech uh, influencer, Cindy Gallup. If you are not following Cindy Gallup, either on Twitter and or LinkedIn, get on it. Cindy Gallup is the founder of Make Love Not Porn, and she just posts unapologetically about how much BS there is in the world around men controlling capital, not women, um, sex being perceived as, you know, only for men and not for women. And she's just this like unapologetic, badass woman living in New York City. She is so New York City. I'm from Jersey. And so I know she is so New York City, unapologetic, make love, not porn. Cindy Gallup, follow her. She's awesome. And the last influencer I'm going to say for 2020 is Catherine F., Catherine is actually the founder of Femtech Insider. Femtech Insider, if you like Femtech at all, you gotta subscribe to her newsletter. Her newsletter is so on point. I like can't even imagine. I guess people think this about me too. Like, how do I get so many hours in the week to do all these interviews and these posts and these blogs and these talking engagements? I feel that way about Catherine with Femtech Insider and her newsletter. It has so much info. I can't even imagine, like, how does she find all of those important articles every week and put it in there? So I'm going to give her, she's kind of the, the, like, virtual digital influencer of the year in my books. So those are some of the biggest influencers. Check them all out. Follow them. Um... Next thing I want to talk about is international femtech trends. So what's happening in the world in terms of women's health and wellness? So 
First, we saw a huge push of femtech into Australia, and that was really because of a woman named Megan, who is partnered with uh, Femtech Collective. She's like a a co-founder, a leader in in that group, and she lives in Sydney, Australia, and really brought Femtech, the name, the purpose, the mission, the vision to Australia. And so Australia, unfortunately, is a little bit behind in terms of innovation for Femtech, but not too fret because there are women like Megan. Megan really pushing hard there. So I've seen a huge uh, spike in interest from Australia um, in terms of femtech. Another trend is Asia. Again, I contribute this one to Fermata. So Asia, specifically Japan, um, Singapore, uh, Philippines, seen a huge increase in interest and also of different um apps and products that are coming out that are specifically for the Asian population because, as we'll talk about later, most femtechs made for the American white woman with money. And so I'm really excited to see people living in the Philippines, in Singapore, in Vietnam, in Thailand, in Japan, saying, well, uh, that product's great, but like <laughs> that would not work in my culture. Or in my culture, we need something like this. And so I've seen a lot of new innovations specifically for the Asian market coming out. Super awesome. Um, Israel, tons of med devices coming out of Israel. Israel has just a plethora of bioengineers, apparently, and they have some really badass medical devices. And the trend that I see is that they all want to come to the U.S. It's not easy, but it's easier to get approval for your medical device in Israel and in Europe than it is in the U.S. And so I usually interact with these medical devices um, once they're trying to come into the U.S., which they're going to need millions of dollars and years of clinical studies. America's kind of a bee to get into. (laughs) So um, also Europe, I see a lot of digital health coming out of Europe. So um, a lot of apps, a lot of tracking, a lot of self-empowered healthcare based on a digital app. Uh, And then the U.S., I see a lot of community-based Uh, educational, interactive uh, communities, and also like the startups have these types of elements in them. So, you know, uh, Genev has a lot of education on menopause. Uh, Social Mama is all about moms interacting, making friends with more moms. And so I see the U.S. uh, technologies being more of these like community-based ones. I guess, you know, Facebook came out of the U.S. and Google and I don't know. So maybe there's just something about that in our in our culture here. Um, but community-based, educational, interactive. I also see a lot of sexual education products and um, platforms coming out of the U.S. And, of course, medical devices. We do have some amazing, amazing institutions here, and I see medical devices coming out. Um, I think the next thing I want to talk about is media and, like, uh, People's respect, different giants in the tech industry is respecting femtech. So uh, femtech publicity by mainstream media still needs a lot of help. Did you know that in Vogue you can say the word penis, but you cannot say the word vagina? Uh, On Facebook, you are allowed to say erectile dysfunction, but you are not allowed to say sexual uh, dysfunction. Um, This is crazy. This is crazy. We're allowed to talk about men's bodies we're not allowed to talk about women's bodies unless it is, um, you know, for men's benefits. It's it's insane. And so this year there was some articles in Forbes. So go Forbes. Yay. They talked about menopause market, uh, how big it is. But I really didn't see a lot of like mainstream 
things happening in terms of of femtech, which is which is disappointing. Um, in something I'm like call to action, I'm going to talk about later. Uh, let's see, femtech in respect of like tech giants. So this year, I did see a report come out in August by PitchBook, which is a you know really important data collecting research uh, company, and they did do a report on femtech, which was awesome. Thank you, PitchBook. But we need more. Just like, uh, <laughs> actually just this morning I was crowdsourcing what other exits happened in Femtech this year. That should be something I can Google in PitchBook and they have ready. That doesn't exist. Um, so PitchBook and all the other ones, CB Insights and Crunchbase, y'all need to still catch up. But thank you PitchBook for doing one report. Another, uh, you know, tech giant type of recognition was from TechCrunch. So TechCrunch did do an article in April of this year. They interviewed the CEOs of Milk Store, Genev, Lioness, and Quora. Now, these are great, but what I've noticed in 2020 is that even if there's an article or a report done on Femtech, it is still very much with the attitude of like, Wow, femtech so cool! Isn't femtech cool? Um, women's health, how like just so, you know, new. This is just great, and I that kind of pisses me off because it's like this isn't like oh man, women's health. Like, isn't that a nice thing to do or work on? Or isn't this just like this is just the new wave? You know, it's a trend. It's like no, 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 no. Women are dying. Like. Women are literally dying. Women are getting divorced because they are so unwell, their personal relationships cannot survive. Women are leaving the workforce and getting on disability. Women are not growing in their careers because they are not well. That is what we're talking about. This isn't just some new trend. This isn't some, oh, isn't blockchain the newest thing? Oh, everyone should just say AI because that's so fun. It's like femtech is not that. Femtech is something that we should be like, why the hell have we not been investing in, working on, researching, lifting up, talking about this? Sorry, I get upset about this because it's not just like, oh, isn't this cute? Like, oh, Brittany talks about vaginas. It's like, (laughs) I'm doing this because I'm fighting. I'm fighting for us, for our lives. I'm fighting for our lives. So um, if PitchBook, Crunchbase, Forbes, if y'all want to do some more articles, I hope you do. I hope it has a little bit more emotion into it and not just like, oh, Femtech, so nice. It's so nice. (laughs) A trend I did see in uh, a unique trend in 2020 was, you know, we had COVID-19. We had a pandemic. And all of a sudden, everyone um, transferred to telehealth services. Telehealth has been around for years, but did not ever really catch on because people were so used to um, going to the doctors. And this year prevented us from doing that. And so people started to do telehealth and they were like, holy moly. This is so convenient. <laughs> I really like this. I like just tuning into Zoom and talking to my doctor, like, and having my meds mailed to. This is really lovely. And so, people, like, just in healthcare in general, have really, really embraced telehealth. But something unique for women's health and femtech is that um, women, <laughs> women really, really thrive with telehealth. Um, 
women who uh, need to go see their OBGYN because they're pregnant and they need to go every month and then every week in that last month, if they have other kids or if they have an hourly job or if they have to take public transportation, that is like really not plausible. And this is what's leading to increased maternal mortality rate amongst other reasons. But did you know women today, so me, like I, as a 29-year-old woman, if I got pregnant today and had a baby, I am twice as likely to die because of my pregnancy than my own mother. Our maternal mortality rate and incidences in, in uh, you know, diseases and accidents are increasing for women in the United States. We have the highest maternal mortality rate of any developed country in the world. It is insane, and I can't help but think it has something to do with access to healthcare, whether that is paying for it or getting there. And so I was really excited to see this year we are embracing telehealth, which is absolutely directly going to help women's health and wellness. Because if we can stay at home or just do it on our phone during our lunch break or you know whatever the circumstances are, that's going to help our accessibility to healthcare. Some topics I think that didn't get enough coverage this year by femtech leaders in femtech events, abortion. One in three women in the world are going to have an abortion. Uh, just yesterday, Argentina finally legalized abortion. I, I have to admit that I didn't even know it was illegal still in most Southern American countries. And that's... That just goes to say, like, I literally talk about this stuff every day. Like, this is my full-time job, and I don't even know the extent to which women are still being, you know, denied access to fundamental health care, and women in South America are dying um, due to at-home abortions. And so, go Argentina, heck yes, but I feel like if we had more events and conversations and blogs and podcast episodes about abortion, we did do one on this show. We actually have, you know, look it up, Rupan Gill on abortion. But um, if we had more events and panels, I feel like I would be more informed about abortion. And abortion, again, one in three women, that sounds like there's enough of us <laughs> having them that we need to talk about it. And um, I want more statistics on it. So topics we didn't hear enough about in 2020, abortion. Um, safety in terms of like sexual violence, physical violence, um, refugee, uh, you know, governmental uh, violence or safety within the prison system. Or I just felt like we didn't hear enough about like women's safety. And I know like that's not like, oh, I have cancer. That's a health and wellness issue. But when you are not safe, your mental wellness is not tip top, right? Um, if you are injured, <laughs> whether physically uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like you are then having this long-term effect of unwellness or dis-ease. So I felt like we should talk more about safety. Another one is fecal incontinence. So we did talk a lot this year about incontinence, like urinary incontinence. So women peeing themselves after they give birth. Um, but I recently learned about, oh, well, <laughs> it's not just the urethra that has a uh, limited muscle capacity. It's actually also the anus. And, um, women actually struggle a lot with fecal incontinence because of pregnancy and other pelvic floor health issues. And I didn't feel like I heard anyone talk about, it. we didn't even do an episode on fecal incontinence. And I can't help but think it's because who wants to talk about poop coming out of your butt? Um, you know, when you don't want it to. And I think that that is 
uh, what makes women who are struggling with this feel even more isolated, um, we need to talk about it. I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. Like, women are struggling with this. It's a real issue. We got to talk about it. Another one is prolapse. I, you know, the first time I heard this prolapse, um, pelvic organ prolapse, I was like, what does that mean? And then it was described to me and I was like, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way that that is something that happens to a majority of women that are, you know, over 65 years old. So, Pelvic um, organ prolapse is literally like the muscles on the pelvic floor are not strong enough and slowly but surely the organs like the uterus, the vagina start to fall out. The number one reason women are put into nursing homes is because of uh, pelvic organ prolapse. Their vaginas are literally inverting and falling out and it is the number one reason they're getting put into homes, which makes me imagine like, oh my gosh, the kids kept going to visit their mom and, you know, at the, the mom's house and like her vagina was fell out again. Like so many times that they decided to just put her in a home so that every time her vagina fell out, she had somebody there <laughs> professionally to put it back in. That is, that is just insane. That is just, just like, I can't, oh my gosh. So we, we need to talk about prolapse and we need to talk about solutions for prolapse and we need to talk about like, how this is, this is crazy. Huge problem. Last thing I think we need to talk more about, I mean, we need to talk about everything more probably, but these are like my top five. So abortion, safety, fecal incontinence, prolapse, and the last one is non-white women's health. This was a year of civil unrest, 2020, um, because black lives do matter, and based on actions of this country, it appears as if that's debatable. And it's not. It's not a debate. It's it's truth. And so I feel like the femtech industry did do a good job this year of starting to bring up, hey, you know what? Yeah, maternal mortality rate is pretty bad in the U.S., but uh, black women are dying, like, way more than white women. So, like, what are we going to do about that? Or we're talking about uh, d- um, discrimination in the healthcare system for black women or brown women. Um, we're talking about fibroids affecting black women more than white women and no one knowing why. So I feel like it did come up some this year, but it was very much, in my opinion, it it came up because there was like this civil unrest in our country. And so we felt kind of obligated, like, oh, look, like we should talk about this and within femtech as well. And what I don't want to happen and why I feel like I wanted to put this on the list to ignite more conversation in 2021, I do not want it to be forgotten. I don't want it to be something that, that that's a 2020 problem, you know. Um, this is something we cannot stop talking about is non-white women's health and the disparities within their treatments and the disparities within how doctors believe them or don't believe them um, or the treatments they get or the history of non-white women's health, how black women were essentially their uteri were the reason that gynecology even exists and they were not given any anesthesia because they it was believed that they didn't feel pain that is insane and we they they deserve our our attention um both the history of it and the current the current state of non-white women's health so let's keep talking about it in 2021 um some of the biggest things i feel like we need uh for the industry is grants from the government. 
this is the biggest thing. I know a lot of people say, oh, we need money, we need money, and I do think we need more venture funds, we need more angels, um, but I also feel like, honestly, what we need is more grants from the government for basic scientific research. So why why am I saying that this is like the, the number one need? Out of everything, this is the number one need. We have a lot of them. This is number one, though. Did you know that the research on pregnancy was done in the 1970s? That may sound like it's only 30 years ago. It's actually, um, <laughs> let's see, 50 years ago. It's 2020. <laughs> so pregnancy research was done in the 1970s. So what does that mean? It means that um, they did a study on uh, about 500 white women, again, white women, um, that were lightly sedated. So they were sedated white women. If you're a scientist, you're like, this experiment sucks already. Um, and what they did was they measured uh, labor, and contractions and how long it took to get a woman to, um, you know, what was a normal trajectory of labor and delivery. That research has not been updated in 50 years. And what this has led to is a very, very high rate of C-sections. In Brazil, 50% of deliveries done via C-section. And the reason we do C-sections a lot of the times is because a woman, quote unquote, stalls out. So she's in labor, she's contracting, and then there's like something happens. She's kind of like plateaus, like she's not going any more further. Her, she's not dilating anymore. And so they say, oh, we got to cut her open. Like she stalled out, like based on this 50-year-old data, like this isn't normal. But what if, throwing this out here, what if, based on your age and your race and the current healthcare system, like we should probably update what is the normal uh, contra- you know, uh, contractions, what is normal cervical dilation, what is the normal time for delivery. If we could research this, and I'm so glad Eric Dye, Bloom Life, he's doing it, he's, do- he's collecting this data, they're going to re- publish this hopefully. I-, I mean, we need to have more pregnancy research. Pre- you would think of everything, we would know pregnancy, like that had been funded enough, and it's not. So we need more grants, pregnancy research. Um, we need more funding for just literally researching vaginas. Um, there is no research on cervical fluid, so we know that you need cervical fluid in order for sperm to swim up and uh, fertilize the egg, but we don't even know like how much or how do you increase it and maybe why are there reasons it decreases i um i quit uh nicotine this year i i was a vapor um god bless you if you're hooked on the vape i was like it sucks and um when i quit my co-founder dr julie hakeem told me like oh my gosh like your vagina is going to do so much better (laughs) i'm like what are you talking about she said oh like nicotine really affects your cervical fluid and i was like are you for real like where's that paper? And she's like, well, it's more like from my decades of, you know, being a doctor, I know this. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I never knew that. Like, what? So I, we need to do cervical fluid research, vagina research, um, vaginal tissue research. So I have um, a, s- some founders that are trying to create tampons out of really innovative material, and they need to do a clinical trial on if that material is safe for vaginas. And there are no models for vaginas. It absolutely shocks me and makes me quite honestly sick to my stomach because I'm an animal lover. But like the best vagina model we have is rabbits, rabbit vaginas and pig vaginas. Can you imagine? That's (laughs) before it's put in a human vagina. It's tested in pig and rabbit vaginas. I can't I can't fathom this, y'all. I can't fathom this. We need a um, 
you know, some a model is very lifelike for us to test things in um, because we should not be putting things in pig vaginas. I just, I'm like dumbfounded by my own suggestions. We need more research. Research is funded by the government. The government uh, votes on budgets by its members. And our, if the members are not uteri, you know, bearing folks, they may not vote on more research. And I'm really proud of, I recently did the interview with the president and founder of the Fibroid Foundation, and they just got a bill passed in Congress for uh, fibroid research. And she said, you know, one of the main reasons we were able to do it was um, because there's more uteri in Congress for them to vote on this and say, yeah, this sounds like a huge issue for women. We should have more research done on it. Um, I won't give too much away. There was also some other strategies she used, which was really fantastic. But I have a lot more to say, and uh, I'm halfway done with this episode. So what else am I going to say for Femtech 2020 review? Um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, investments. Let's talk about investments. All right. Femtech funds. Hold on one second. I'm talking a lot. All right. Femtech funds. So here are the funds that I know of that specifically invest in Femtech. Yes, there are lots of funds that invest in healthcare, and sometimes that includes a Femtech company or their sexual wellness, but they're doing both men and women's sexual wellness. So I did not include them. These are literally the definition is like we're doing Femtech. So I have Fermata out of Japan, Portfolia. They had a Femtech fund which they invested all the money out of, and they just raised their second Femtech fund. Uh, Steel Sky Ventures, I'm very excited about that one because it's truly very broad in terms of all Femtech. Similarly, Avestria Ventures, very much a broad uh, uh, you know, spectrum of all Femtech. Um, and the reason I think these are different are because we have RIA Ventures, amazing, amazing fund, amazing organization, but they focus on fertility which is fantastic. That's great. Uh, but it's not like everything under Femtech. It's fertility. And then we have the case for her. They invest in sexual wellness and period wellness. Um, so Fermata, Portfolia, Steel Sky Ventures, the case for her, Avestria Ventures, Rhea Ventures. And then we have Femtech Focus. So I am really excited to announce that we have been working really hard on launching a venture fund. Um, but something that has happened, and I'm, I'm, I should probably do a whole nother like, talk about this because it's really interesting if you're interested in, in raising a fund. Something you need to do when you raise a fund is create smaller investments to kind of prove out your model. And what I realized was that we could pro- really, really use a Femtech Angel network. And so stay tuned for Femtech Angels. I will not give everything away now, but I'm just going to say Femtech Focus is going to be a really, really active investor in 2021. Heck yeah. Um, Some other just like things I want to say about investments, uh, especially in 2020, is that founders continue to spend the majority of their time in their pitch educating investors on women's biology what problems we actually have that are not solved yet, why these problems are huge in terms of like their impact and the cost and, um, 
you know, <laughs> even though they've, these investors have never heard about women struggle with hot flashes, it is absolutely real, right? Um, or women struggle with vaginal dryness. Uh, women struggle with fecal incontinence, right? They've, I've never heard about this. This is not an actual issue. And we spend most of our time as founders pitching, educating them that it is an issue and it's a huge market. And also we spend a lot of time convincing investors that women would pay money to have this problem solved. It's, I know, I know, it sounds crazy, but we spend all this time educating them on how big the markets are, um, how many women are struggling, but then we still, after that, even if they're convinced, okay, there's a lot of money in this, they are not convinced that women would actually spend any money on having this problem fixed for them. Like, somehow, the status quo of women's suffering is like, you know, they can't imagine women would ever not want to suffer. Oh, oh Lord, you know. Anyways, so we need to, 2020 was another year of educating investors on women's health and why it's important and that we actually want to feel good. Wow, imagine that. Um, let's see, what else do I want to say, talk about? I want to talk about organizations. All right, femtech organizations. Some new organizations that launched in 2020. We have Femtech Focus. Can you believe it? This uh, show first aired in April of this year crazy that we only started in March. So Femtech Focus, new this year. Another one is Springboard uh, Enterprise. They Springboard, they launched a program called Women's Health Innovation Coalition. Um, another really, really fantastic website. It's kind of a, it's a website that is full of resources. So it's like a one-stop shop for everything Femtech. And another launch this year is Femtech Labs. They are an accelerator in Europe. Now, admittedly, they just launched like last month. And what they're asking startups for is 5% common stock equity in exchange for their 12-week virtual accelerator. I, I personally would not recommend a startup to join that and give that equity up. Um, as someone who has launched accelerators, run accelerators, participated in accelerators, that is just a very large, large equity piece for something that is virtual. And the, the content looked really important. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's worth the 5%. So let's see how they do. Um, maybe I'm totally wrong. And next year I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, Femtech Labs is the shit. And like, we all should join their program. Who knows? I don't know, but that's my opinion on it. That's the, that's new for Femtech in 2020. Some of the original uh, organizations that are still around. We have Femtech Collective, and in 2020, they showed a huge expansion into Australia, largely due to Megan, which is awesome. We have Fermata, which huge growth in 2020. Fermata started out as just a $1 million venture fund in 2019, and this year they really expanded into um, customer awareness. So they launched a Femtech store in Tokyo. They expanded to Singapore, and they're going to be launching an in, in-person Femtech store there. They actually petitioned to the government to stop taxing uh, diva cups and period panties because they were, um, the law says like tampons and pads can't be taxed by the government, but cups and panties were. And so they actually petitioned the government and got law changed. So Fermata is just like 
<laughs> super amazing. Super. I'm really impressed. We got women of wearables with Maria. She's incredible. They've did uh, femtech forum, which was like a big conference this year. Really awesome. We got femtech insider already showed Catherine some love for her newsletter, menstrual health hub. They're expanding women centered design by menstrual health hub. Really, really important stuff. Um, I, they are actually the only organization I know that has South American reach. And that makes me proud because like I said in the beginning, we need some, we need some help in South America for women's health. Um, Untitled Kingdom is actually a, um, they're like a marketing firm in, um, in London or England. I think it's London, but they, they published a book this year, like a, a research report and they did a whole series of, um, femtech webinars. So I was really impressed with them. Uh, another one is Future of Femtech, uh, which actually got acquired by Femtech Focus. So we actually bought Future of Femtech and joined forces. Um, Christina, who is the founder of Future of Femtech, she also has a Femtech Media Group. And Femtech Media Group is launching this thing called the Femmies next year. The Femmies is uh, essentially like the Oscars or the Emmys for Femtech leaders. I am really excited for that. So definitely check out the Femmies. Um my request to these organizations is that in 2021, we stop having so many panels on general femtech info. Like, what is femtech? And look at this founder. She's working on something that's in femtech. And I feel like we should do more workshops, more resource-based initiatives. Um, we need to get bigger names. I want, you know, Scott Kapoor from Andreessen Horowitz talking on these things. I, I, you know, I want the big, big names coming in. I want Melinda Gates. I want um, Serena Williams. Like, we need big names, and we need to stop being like, isn't this nice? Here's the 411, and more like, let's get down to business. How do we petition Facebook to let us say vagina? How do we petition to the Congress to increase the government funding of women's health? Like, how do we, how do, we do this? Like, really, really intense work, roller sleeves up events, um, and more networking. I want to meet more femtech founders and leaders and thought folks. Um, we need to fight for our founders as organizations. I feel like founders, oh God, if you've ever been a founder, you know, you, your life is just so full and like, you shouldn't have to be the one who's fighting the media, fighting with the government, educating investors. I feel like our organizations, the, um, you know, Femtech Media Group, Fermata, Women of Wearables, Femtech Insider, Femtech Focus, we should be responsible for fighting the media encouraging the government to fund us, educating investors, because founders have enough to do. And they, at the end of the day, are the ones saving women with their products, their technology, their services, and we are here to lift them up. That's our responsibility, and I think that in order to lift them up, we should be doing these things on their behalf. They, don't, they shouldn't have to use investor money to do these things. All right, folks. Let's, let's keep going, wrapping this up soon. This is so fun. I could literally talk about femtech all the time. Uh, startups. So what areas in femtech did I see a lot of innovation in 2020? It was menopause and sexual wellness. Those are the two areas I saw a lot of innovation in. Areas I think that still need help. Everything, but in terms of not white women. <laughs> So literally from fertility to period care to breastfeeding to prenatal, like literally anything about women, heart disease, fibroids, um, uh, Alzheimer's, 
breast health, literally everything, but just for not white women needs help. Um, medical devices and procedures. So I actually just um, interacted with a founder this week in my office hours through our virtual network uh, who created a medical device to help open up a woman's uh, you know, womb when, during a C-section. And I was like, what? why do we need this? And he goes, well, because what we currently use is like medical devices that are meant for other parts of the body. And then doctors have just decided to use that. But opening your womb to get a baby out is really different than like having a surgery on your appendix. And I'm like, yeah. And so he created like this first med device that actually opens the, the, you know, the woman's body in order to not have six pairs of hands in a woman's body, which actually there's huge rates of infection during C-sections because there's so many hands that have to be in the body in order to like hold it open and get the baby out. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So what do I need? Uh, what, what do I need? What do I think the fintech industry needs more innovation in? Medical devices and procedures. I invite everyone to literally think about every medical procedure a woman experiences, pap smear, uh, wellness checkup, uh, breast exam, mammogram, uh, C-section, literally anything for a woman and think or look, research, when was that device procedure test created and when was it last innovated? And I think you are going to be shocked that either one, actually nothing is made specifically for that. We just adopted other tools or two, something was made, but it was in the 1950s and we haven't changed it. So that's the areas I think we still need innovating is anything med device and, and medical procedures. Um, I think we need more market research in terms of the market, um, how big the markets are. So uh, Frost and Sullivan, you know, they published last in 2019 that Femtech market was worth $50 billion, five zero. I immediately was like, I don't know about that. Like, I think that's really low because if I look at, you know, sexual wellness is worth $35 billion and fertility is worth $60 billion. Right there, we already beat that, and that's not even including all the other pieces of women's health. And then Forbes last month published an article that said that menopause market, which previously had never been quantified for how much how big it was so my poor menopause founders were like making up numbers because no one ever researched how big the markets are forbes publishes menopause is worth 600 billion dollars so that just kicks 50 billion in general like in total out of the water because menopause it's just menopause is 600 billion and so we need i my my hope for 2021 is we have more market research analysts uh, creating the market sizes so that when founders go into an investor meeting, they can accurately say and argue how big the market is that they are targeting because that is so important as an investor. Um, I want to talk about some uh, startups I'm really excited about. And uh, I'm going to talk about some exits that happened this year. And then I'm going to talk about my fut- my goal, f- like my hope for the future of Femtech. So first, startups I'm really excited about. Again, if I don't list you, I'm so sorry. I love all of you so much. I love Femtech. There are so many cool ones. But I, I just, I tried to pick, let's see, I picked seven. So first one is Prime Genomics. It's a saliva-based test for breast cancer. It's disrupting the mammogram industry. So currently... When you get, if you're a woman over 50, every single year you're supposed to get your breasts checked um, for any, you know, foreign bodies, lumps, bumps, whatever. And 
only way to check for breast cancer currently is visually. So what do I mean by that is that there's no functional test. There's no test that comes back with blood work or saliva work or DNA that says, oh, you have breast cancer. It is purely through imaging. So a mammogram is literally this radiology machine that squishes the breast between two metal plates and takes a picture and looks visually for any like shadows. Over 50% of women that get a mammogram are called back due to um, something abnormal in it. These are, this is now millions of women now convinced they have breast cancer, probably super freaking stressed. They have to take off of work again, get childcare for their kids again, go back in. And the secondary breast cancer screening test is an ultrasound, which is more specific than the mammogram. But again, it's still just visual. Even that has immense, immense false positives. And then women have to go back for a biopsy. Now they're really convinced that they have breast cancer. And now they have to have a little needle shoved into their tata to get some cells out to see if it's actually cancer or not. And, um, like it's like less than 2% of women ever actually get the breast cancer results. So prime genomics, super excited, an actual functional test. They take a, a, a sample of your saliva, look for markers that will indicate that you have breast cancer. So it's a functional test. The next uh, startup I'm really excited about is Materna Medical. So women giving vaginal birth, it has just been accepted that women are going to rip between their vagina and their anus. Literally, the parent, like the perennial, is that what it's called? I think that's what it's called. Um, <laughs> I want to call it taint. I don't think that's medical, but that's, <laughs> that's what the host of the show don't even know the right words. But it just gets ripped. And to the point that doctors even just go ahead and take a scalpel and they cut the woman for her before it even rips. And then woman gets baby put on her chest and the doctor goes back under there and he spends his time sewing her back up. This is what's leading to the incontinence, fecal and urinary. This is what's leading to the uh, prolapse, your vagina falling out, right? So this is what's leading to all these, it leads to painful sex. Can you imagine the bottom of your vagina? Let's, all right, let's do penises. So can you imagine if your penis was ripped in half and then sewed back up? and you had any sensitivity for the rest of your life in it, like, oh my God, why is this status quo? It's garbage. So Materna Medical is creating this medical device that actually goes up into the cervix and assists the woman to expand, and so she doesn't have to rip when she gives vaginal birth. Imagine that. Imagine that. They're lit what are they disrupting? They're disrupting the status quo of women's bodies deserving more because it's freaking 2020. The next one is Hera Diagnostics. Love this one. So pap smear, I hear everyone complaining about COVID tests. So they're so invasive and they hurt. By the way, that's just men that are saying that in my experience. Um, but hair, uh, pap smears are very invasive and uncomfortable. Um, you have to go in, you have to get naked, um, both your shirt and your bra and your undies, like literally you're naked and you're laying on a table in this freaking like cotton, not cotton. It's like paper. It's a paper mache robe. You have to expose your bottom, cold air rushing up onto your, onto your vagina. Like it's so freaking uncomfortable. And the doctor takes this giant Q-tip with like a brush, uh, plastic bristles on the end, shoves it up your vagina and then scrapes your cervix. And it's, it's like, pain inside like under your belly button it's horrible it's horrible so Hera Diagnostics is a company that's created this med device that uses a little bit of electricity the woman doesn't even feel it 
but it's a way to test for cancerous cells on the cervix um, in real time and much more comfortably. So hair diagnostics, really excited. Another one is Evofem Biosciences. It's actually a publicly traded company, so you can buy stock in it. Get on that. It's the first non-hormonal birth control. So what they do is they have this little like syringe of um, like medicine, and right before you have sex, you put the medicine up in your vagina, and what it does is it makes sure that your vaginal pH does not change because sperm can actually not live and survive in your vagina at its current pH level. And so what sperm does is it actually changes your pH, which is why women uh, are at risk of infection. If you have lots of sex, um, lots of sperm up in there, you can, you can get infection due to your pH levels being, being unright, um, imbalanced. But Evofem Biosensis, so what you do is so you don't have to take this hormonal birth control every single day that like convinces your body that you're pregnant so you don't release an egg. Instead, you like live your natural egg-producing life as a woman nor hormone, but right before you're going to get jiggy with it, you put this non-hormonal um, medicine up in your vagina and it maintains your vaginal pH. So when your partner uh, ejaculates in you, it cannot change your vaginal pH and all the sperm will die. Um, this is super amazing because there are over 4 million babies a year born in the United States. Of the 4 million babies, 2 million are unplanned. Unplanned. Half, 50% of babies, unplanned. We got to work on contraception. Here we are. And of the 2 million, 1 million of them are unplanned, accidental because of a change in your birth control. Or a, for, uh, there's an issue with your birth control. You're having side effects. You're trying to find a new one. 1 million babies are due to the birth control. We needed a new form of birth control, and Evofem has it, publicly traded company, buy your stocks today. Another one, the last two I'm really excited about. I mean, it's definitely not the last two, but it's two more that I'm really excited about. One is Milkify. So um, this is actually founded by my friend Berkeley Luck uh, from grad school. She was researching breast milk, and the way that they stored it in the lab was that they would uh, freeze-dry it. And she was like, why don't, like, moms in everyday life get to freeze-dry their breast milk for storage? And she, like, dun da 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 Like, <laughs> she was like, this seems really like sent common sense so she started milkify with her husband and what they do is they have a partnership with milk stork so you can have your breast milk actually delivered or they are launching these little like units that uh, at work you're pumping you can drop it off and they will freeze dry your breast milk it actually preserves the all the good elements of your breast milk more than when you put it in the freezer which actually degrades all the good probiotics of your breast milk and so they freeze dry it uh, this huge like bag of liquid milk actually turns into this super small like little um, like flat thing, and you just add water, and it, then all becomes becomes breast milk again. Amazing, Milkify. Super excited about that one. Last one I want to talk about is Awkward Essentials. So Awkward Essentials, um, I knew the founder in 2019 when she was raising her fundraising round. Um, at that point, she her company was called Come and Gone. We interviewed her, look back in the show for that one, Come and Gone. And it is literally like a sponge on a stick. So when a woman is having sex, uh, if her partner ejaculates in her, instead of having cum drip out of you for the next 48 hours, and well, maybe not 48, that's an exaggeration, but at least the rest of that evening and maybe even the next day, um, 
um, changing your panties three times, using a ton of toilet paper, sitting on the toilet, trying to make some like muscular pushing motion to get it out. Instead, you have this sponge on a stick. So right after sex, it's uh, an awkward essential. It's a it's a hygiene product. So a woman will stick it up in her. Admittedly, I've used these. They work really, really freaking well, <laughs> actually, shockingly. And you just like, you know, move it around, pull it out and all the cum is gone. And you can then go back in bed and lay with your boo and cuddle and not worry about it getting on the sheets or getting on them or getting on you or whatever. And it actually is better for your vaginal hygiene because we just talked about the pH. So it's much better for you. So Awkward Essentials, check them out. They have a really amazing Facebook page called Octalk. Um, really, really authentic conversations about sex happening there. And I, I love it because it's not like like inappropriate or weird or like, oh my God, like this is getting kind of, it's like real life conversations about women and their bodies during, after and before sex that we've not been allowed to have talk about because it was like gross or not sexy. And like, I just, I just love Awkward Essentials because their product really works. It's innovative. It's like one of those duh things, like why hasn't this been made yet? But also it's really empowering women to talk about their bodies and their experience, especially during and after sex. Um, let's see. So some exits that happened, uh, we have 30 to the best of my knowledge, 36 exits in femtech that have happened in the last 15 years. Um, four of them have been over $1 billion. We consider that a unicorn status and three of those four are IPOs. So we have, uh, progeny, um, fertility progeny. We have Evofem Biosciences and Dare biosciences, all amazing IPO'd femtech exit companies. The four, um, one, two, three, five companies, five companies that I know of in femtech that exited this year in 2020. We have, um, a company called care of, we have a company called candy, which was acquired by, uh, Bayer pharmaceutical. We have excessa health, which was all about, uh, fibroids. We have Thomas medical, and we have Lucina. We have a article on our website that talks more about each of these companies, but to the best of my knowledge, we have five femtech exits this year in 2020. So anyone who's like, oh, it just needs an exit, they can just go away because um, they should be referred to our website because we have exits in femtech. There are exits. when People have made a ton, a ton of money on women's health and wellness, Okay. Okay, I've been talking a lot. It's a long episode, but 2020 was a was a long year. You know what I mean? Um, my prediction for femtech. I think that next year we're going to see more venture funds formed. I think we're going to see more angels, more individuals getting into and personally investing in women's health and wellness. I think we are going to see some really big exits, some very big exits, so acquisitions and IPOs. I hope with a new administration, we get more grants and Medicaid coverage for women's health. Um, and this is due to the new administration and um, more women getting into office um, and us, the femtech community being louder and demanding better, demanding more. The reports coming out, the data coming out that women are dying and this is unacceptable and we need to do something about it. We cannot be proud of our healthcare system for many reasons, but one of which is that women are dying. So um, in particular, not white women. So 
Um, those are my predictions. More funding from venture angels and the government. Some really big exits I am anticipating really coming up big. Um, and I think that the future future, like the long-term future, like why is this so important? It's so important because as women feel better, as women stop dying and as women feel better, we're going to be thriving more in our communities and in our careers. And I think that when women thrive, everyone thrives. Their partners thrive. Their babies thrive. Their children thrive. Their adult children thrive. Their businesses thrive. Their employees thrive. Their dogs and their cats and their horses thrive. The economy thrives. So that is like what I'm actually fighting for at Femtech Focus is everything, <laughs> which sounds like really like, what? What did you just say? I'm literally fighting for everyone's health, everything's health, every economy's health, every uh, government's health, every business's health, every baby and partner and man and everyone. And I believe that the way to do that, the way to literally have a trickle effect that actually trickles and affects everyone's well-being, everyone's health, everyone's prosperity is via the woman, the girl, the female, the woman. And so um, that's what I thought last year around this time. And that's what I truly, truly believe still one year later. And um, that's my 2020 update, y'all. I hope that that was useful. And if it was inaccurate or if you have more to add, message me. I'm totally just one woman who Googles Femtech, Vulva, and Clitoris is a whole lot. So I am not the be-all, end-all, but there is somebody who needs to get up on their Yeti microphone and talk about it and publish it, and that's what I'm doing. And I thank y'all for listening. Bye.